Hello, podcast listeners. This is Another Bottle Down. My name is Mark Rayshap, and this is a podcast about wine and the wine industry. We broadcast on the radio uh, in Austin, Texas, on KOOP Hornsby Austin, and also make this podcast. So I'm really happy that you're here listening. Uh, Today's a really cool episode because we're going to be talking about the 2017 harvest. Uh, It's August 15th, and uh, yesterday I recorded a bunch of interviews with winemakers from around the state, and I tried to have a representative winery from each of the the regions of Texas uh, talk about how their conditions this year are, are different, and so we could take a really deep dive into how this vintage is shaping up in various parts of the state. Uh, Some regions are all wrapped up or wrapping up in the next couple days with harvest. And some regions like the the Texas High Plains are just beginning and just the early ripening grapes are coming in. So really looking forward to hearing these winemakers talk about their regions. Uh, Before we get into it, I want to uh, make sure that everybody is subscribing to this show and uh, and rating it on iTunes if you if that's where you get your podcast or Stitcher. Um, subscribing and rating the podcast really helps other people get the word out. And also, if you have somebody who loves wine in your life, please make sure that they're listening in. So uh, when you subscribe, you get uh, the the updates that uh, a new show has been published, and we are pretty regularly publishing stuff once a week. So thank you so much for doing that. Okay, um, we're going to first hear from Chris Brundrett, who is co-owner of William Chris Winery in the Texas Hill Country in in the Fredericksburg area. They farm some vineyards there, and they also are working a lot in the Texas High Plains, uh, as well as some other regions in the state. So we're going to hear Chris talk all about that and where they are in the harvest, and I think you're going to find out really quickly that Chris Brundrett is very excited about the 2017 harvest. Hey, Chris, it's Mark. Hey, Mark, how are you? Tell us uh, a little bit about where your grapes are coming from overall for the winery, and then uh, we want to talk about where we are in terms of harvest and how it's really looking. Sure. So, um, well, as far as William Chris goes, um, a little less than half of our grapes come from the hill country. Uh, We farm uh, multiple different properties all over over the hill country, and... uh, uh, we also have another farm in Brownfield, Texas, um, which is one of the Hunter Vineyard, which is a uh, almost a three and a half acre vineyard of Merlot um, that that uh, Andy Timmons and his team uh, farms farms ninety nine percent of it. Um, and we do some management decisions. Um, but as far as William Chris goes, uh, we're almost done with the Hill Country. We have about fifty tons left. Um, mostly Bordeaux stuff and a little Tempranillo. Um, but I, I, I would like to say that we are in one of the best vintages in my lifetime that I've ever experienced uh, as far as the hill country goes. And if it would quit freaking raining and the high plains, I think we're going to have one of the best vintages the high plains has ever seen on both quality and quantity. Um, so it's, uh, I think... Um, I think it's a combination of great weather. We had a cool spring and a, so far a, a relatively moderate summer. And 
uh, we had good rainfall in the spring and then a pretty dry summer, which has led to a, a really great vintage across the board. Um, as far as the hill country goes, it's fantastic. I tell you, our uh, Bill Blackman and our vineyard management team, is um, it's been an honor to work with their fruit that, that our, our company has produced. And I think that people are going to be writing books about, uh, writing stories about the, the wine that we're producing out of this vineyard, which is super exciting, especially after a, a 16 vintage that was uh, started out good but really challenging at the end. And we... You know, it's always tough when we have to be better than excellent winemakers to make good wine. And um, this vintage, um, it's almost like the wine's almost making itself. Uh, it, it, we're growing the wine, and, and as winemakers, we're just kind of coaxing it along. And we're really able to coax out the soulfulness and, and those little nuances um, it's a lot more fun to make wine in a vintage like this. Yeah, do you see, so in the hill country, we're seeing that there's good ripeness, there's, uh, when, when you talk about a good vintage, you know, of course, we're, we're referring to, you know, that there's not rot or disease in the vineyards, right? But then, and then the nuances that you're talking about, does that come in terms of tannin, in terms of the balance of acidity? Uh, is, is, were those things that you were looking for and seeing really good results in 2017? Yeah, um, typically, um, I've seen a lot of vintages that we usually don't have problems making sugar, uh, but we do have issues in physiological ripeness. And especially in my opinion now, we can talk to different winemakers and get different opinions, but we try to pick somewhat a little earlier than most people because we like to retain a lot of natural acidity. And so what we've seen, like last year, we, we had to pick uh, we saw sugars not building, um, but we saw a lot of physiological ripeness, which is kind of opposite of what the typical vintage in Texas is. Usually we're building sugar too fast, and we're not physiologically ripe. Right. Uh, this vintage, we're seeing brown, crunchy seeds, great flavors. Uh, in some instances, we had to let the food even hang a little bit because our acidity was too much, which is... Uh, uh, I think a, a combination of not only the vintage, but our uh, farming practices are just getting better and better. Our, our, our wine growing team is, uh, there's, you know, they've got more vintages under, the, under their belt and they're really on point. And I'm seeing the same thing in the high plains, um, especially with some of the younger vineyards that have uh, had very light tonnage on it, um, just ripening so beautifully. Uh, last night we picked uh, ganache. Um, a truck a truckload of ganache that was absolutely beautiful out of Lehe Vineyard. Um, and I, and that, we picked it a little bit underripe for uh, some rosé, um, and the acidity was perfect. And then I think, I estimate by the end of the week, we'll be picking the other half for red wine um, that will be coming in just beautifully as well. Um, I'm actually just the same thing, concerned about the acidity being too much, um, and, and, uh, but the flavors are there. So, yeah, so uh, so as we're learning about you know these vineyard practices uh, and and getting a little bit more of an understanding as far as what yields will do uh, in terms of the balance of acidity and tannin and ripeness and phenolic ripeness, uh, in your opinion, that's what we're kind of learning as an industry and both in the high plains and the hill country. In crossroad, um, you know, in Texas, we're blessed with incredible vigor and um and that could also be uh 
not a great thing because we can, with all that vigor, we can also put on a lot of tonnage, and then we're taking that tonnage off a little too little too late. And um, what I see in both the hill country and in the high plains, some of the best canopy management um, that we've ever seen. And, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a multi, uh, uh, there's many reasons. Like we're getting, uh, even though we're always short labor, we're getting a little bit more mechanized in the vineyard, oh. uh, which is getting us more time to, do, to push hand labor through um, to, to make sure that uh, our canopies are managed properly. We're also uh, crop thinning or shoot, shoot thinning and, and uh, uh, fruit thinning earlier, uh, which is really helping us uh, get more dialed in. And our vineyards are becoming a little bit older, and uh, they're also uh, kind of settling into their own a little bit. Yeah. So out in the high plains, so we're about halfway through uh, and in the in the hill country, and then are, are you, where are we at in terms of harvest 2017 in the high plains? Uh, and yeah. Just speaking off, I mean, uh, I'd say, yeah, Andy's right here. Do you think most of the, I'd say most of the Muscat and Vignet has been picked, except sort of for some of the older Vignet blocks? Um, Probably 15%, 20%. Yeah, maybe, we're at maybe 15, 20% in the high plains, just barely getting started. So the uh, early ripening varieties are, are already kind of coming in, and then we're just kicking yeah. off most of them. Yeah. yeah. But I, what I estimate, and, um, some other winemakers might disagree with me, but I really see a lot of the younger vines becoming ripe, pretty ripe in the next two weeks. I mean, we're planning on bringing in probably 100 tons this week. Wow. Um, especially of the young stuff. Um, and then we've got some earlier ripening reds. I think we're going to pick Malbec uh, and Ropes. And I don't know if we're going to pick at La Straw Malbec this week, probably next week. So it's... Uh, it's happening, and uh, usually we have this like nice little window of cushion to where we can use our winery facilities twice. You know, we har- harvest in the hill country and then kind of get everything cleared out, and then start in the high plains and, and then you know make that big push. But we're not going to have that little grace period. Although I do think there's a silver lining to that because we're going to be able to maybe maybe go on vacation for a week or two in October. <laughs> <laughs> It always sucks when you're picking all the way into the middle of October because you're like, this, sure, this stuff will never end. And uh, so I don't think we're going to be picking in October this year. Great. Knock on, knock on wood because I don't want to be picking in October. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, Chris, are you uh, doing anything in like the Davis Mountains area, or um, what do you see kind of going on there, or any other regions that maybe folks don't know as much about? Sure. Um, so yeah, the Davis Mountains is beautiful. We've got a really uh, young vineyard out there. Uh, uh, Sarah and Jody Adams have a, a really cool uh, little spot that uh, uh, we're not going to pick anything out of this year, uh, but next year I think we'll be in full swing. Um, and then we have uh, the Dolores Mountain Vineyard, uh, which is, to my knowledge, I think the oldest Cabernet Sauvignon in the state, or at least one of the oldest Cabernet Sauvignon uh, vineyards in the state. Um, we're, we're only going to get a couple of tons out of that vineyard. Um, I, I kind of, Bill and I kind of equate it to an old antique uh, habit that we spend a lot of money and don't make that much, but <laughs> we have to do it because it's such a cool thing and it makes such beautiful wine. And um, the boys have been going back and forth from Fort Davis and really working hard out there. So it's, uh, it's, it doesn't make financial sense, 
but it doesn't necessarily have to because of the wine that we make out of there is so beautiful. And, you know, if we can snag a couple barrels out of that, I know it means a lot to our fans and uh, it means a lot to our vineyard team. And um, we've seen, we've kind of, Bill, Bill and our team and, and, and our company is known for reviving old vineyards. If you have a vineyard that is about to die, like, I don't know why, but we're the people to call. And uh, maybe we're suckers. <laughs> uh, it's been a fun experience to get out there and 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 work with those wines. Um, and then you know, out in the, the East Texas, um, there's some guys doing a really great job. Um, been talking to my boys at Kippersall uh, out in Tyler. They've had a really good vintage. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think they're probably done already. Um, and then we brought in some beautiful Blanc de Bois. Uh, I know the the Lewis boys too. We split that uh, truck, uh, Blanc de Bois from Altus Kilimbert and uh, uh, John Crawl out of Enoch Stump. Um, those guys are killing it. They always do. Uh, I don't know how they do it, even in a tough vintage with all the rain. But uh, they made some really beautiful Blanc de Bois. They will actually be coming up here to Meadow here soon because we'll be making our uh, our Mary Ruth blend. Right. And that's a big component in that. I always love that wine. Love the Mary Ruth. (laughs) Well, um, in our last minute or so, anything that you're seeing that you're particularly excited about um, anywhere around the state? I mean, we're looking at very high quality. Um, Any any varieties really jump out at you? Um, Yeah, the the more Vetra is uh, uh, all over the Texas High Plains and all over the Texas Hill Country. We pulled in some incredible Morvedra off of our one of our state vineyards. Um, Bill and, and the boys did a great job. Uh, we had some head-trained Morvedra that, man, it's low yield, but, it, man, it was beautiful. Um, the Lostra Morvedra looks incredible. Uh, the Binghams have a, a really nice uh, patent block uh, that I think is going to develop really nicely. Um, we're looking at a really good uh, patch of Morved out at Lehe Vineyards. Um, that I'm pretty stoked about. Uh, the Timmins Estate uh, in, in, in Lubbock is looking fantastic. Um, I think more Vetra is just going to really stand out this year. Also, Canyon, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, Tanat is, uh, uh, we have a couple of blocks of Tanat uh, all, all over the, the Hill Country stuff came in really great. Um, but the High Plains Tanat is also looking pretty incredible. And it, it just goes to show that year after year, uh, if we plant and 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 work the varieties that that are meant to grow in Texas, that uh, you know we just get great results almost almost every year, and it's so much easier when we put all our eggs in in varieties that uh, are meant to be here, and not and and less in varieties that that have trouble every year or every other year. You know, we don't want to make great wine every vintage. Right, right. Make really good wine at every vintage. Yeah. And uh, and then have great wine, um, you know, as as often as we can. And um, when we work with the varieties that that do well here, it just goes to show what kind of success we can have. Um, And then you look at that in a worldwide market, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think we we're actually going to see some pretty great Cabernet Sauvignon out of the whole country and out of the High Plains. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, but it's much more of an uphill marketing climb um, to, to try to compete and carve out a niche right. um, in, in the worldwide market. When Morvedra and Tanat, I think the, the door's wide open and Texans 
um, Texans are adventurous. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited about that Morved and Tanat and how it's uh, progressing in the state. Well, Chris Brundrett, thank you so much. Uh, William Chris Vineyards, and thank you so much for our 2017 Harvest Report. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to having uh, everybody taste it. Also look for uh, Slay Rosé that will be out on shelves soon, too. And I always appreciate the support, Mark. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. Good luck with the rest of Harvest. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello, Michael. This is Mark Rayshap uh, with another Bottle Down. Hey, how are you, Mark? Michael McClendon from Keeper Soul Estate. Michael, tell first tell us where Keeper Soul is and where some of the vineyards that you're working with are, are in the state of Texas. So Keeper Soul is in the northeastern part of the state near Tyler, Texas. Uh, it is 100% estate grown and produced. Um, we grow varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Syrah, um, a little bit of Morvedra, um, quite a few whites as well, some Sauvignon Blanc, um, Simeon, a lot of Bordeaux-style wines that we make and, and varieties that we blend. So 100% estate um, and mostly Bordeaux varieties. What, what are some of the challenges that your region has overall in terms of growing? And then what we're, we, our main goal is to take a look at what's going on in the 2017 vintage and get that update. I think some of the challenges uh, that we see in the northeastern part of the state deal with moisture in the vineyard. Um, you know, making sure that we have great canopy management is crucial for fruit development. Also, our pruning going into the fall and into dormancy is really key. And we experienced a lot of that this season uh, with uh, especially our Syrah crop this year. We were able to prune and get a quite a, quite a good yield this year. We were impressed with some of that. But also it just sets us up um, for, for good growing conditions, you know, pruning to get vigor, uh, but balancing that out with the vine, making sure that the vine has health and longevity. Being in a state-grown vineyard, you want to make sure that you have the ability to grow the fruit year in and year out. Uh, there's always going to be some variability, but having that control and it being right here on the estate, on the property, is really nice. Right. Uh, many many winemakers and, and wineries around the state are uh, buying grapes from other areas, and th- that might be a sort of way of hedging their bets in terms of if they get a tricky sort of situation in one vintage, they could, uh, you know, they have other regions that, that might have uh, better uh, conditions, and so that kind of hedges your bets. You don't really have that, so the health of the vine really makes all the difference in that situation, Right. For sure, and we are, you know, we, we consider ourselves farmers. You know, I think a lot of people uh, look at wine as a crop, and you know, it's kind of hoity-toity and fancy, right. but the reality of it is it's just a crop. Uh, yeah. We're farmers, and we farm. We put on our boots every day and, uh, you know, go to work. We have a couple old sayings. The best fertilizer is a farmer's footprint, so we spend a lot of time in the vineyard getting to know our, our area, our terroir, knowing what we can and cannot do. Um, and always trying to push the envelope. And uh, they, there's a, another old saying is that a, a farmer makes a plan. And so, you know, even with some of those times where we may not have the most advantageous growing conditions, 
Uh, instead of hedging our bet, you know, we always make plans to have success. Yeah, so in the Northeast, you, you know, you're not really part of a, one of the AVAs, one of the eight va- AVAs in Texas, right? Is there, do you have neighbors as well? Is there kind of a booming wine community out there? There is a pretty good uh, wine community in the northeastern part of the state. We have a, a wine trail that we, we've got and we're a part of. Uh, some of the bigger ones here, uh, Los Pinos, uh, for sure. They do a lot of growing and business here. Um, uh, Pelania is another one, a part of our wine trail, and, and they grow traditional varieties as well. And I think it's, it's a burgeoning area that's coming on. Uh, a lot of people don't really look at this area as far as uh, for the wine side of it, or they, not necessarily they don't look, but it's overlooked, I right. guess, from time to time because there's so much uh, traffic and, and draw in the hill country area. Um, you know, I think that people forget that there are other parts. You know, Texas as a state is, you know, roughly the size, if not a little larger than France. So right. think about all the variety that you have in French wine. You know, why don't we celebrate that same kind of variety and differentiation? amongst regions here in the state of Texas, and that's kind of what we're doing. And Keepersol is not a newcomer to the industry. We've been growing and making wine for several years now, and uh, have just kind of stayed the course, and, and it's starting to really pay off for us, for sure. Right, absolutely. Actually, in, in this special, we're trying to get, you know, voices from all around the state to highlight all those differences. Um, so as far as the 27 Vintage, where are you at? Are you mostly uh, mostly fully done, or are you halfway through your, you know, the grape varieties that you'll be harvesting? Tomorrow will be uh, our last day of picking if everything goes according to plan. Uh, we could get a big yield, and we're running out of tank space, which is... Uh, a good problem to have and right. something that we kind of run into towards the, the end of every every season. You know, we're looking for space to, and places to put grapes and have grapes coming out of our ears, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it's been a really good year for us. The last two years, you know, we've dealt with kind of some record rainfall in the summertime. For this year, we had a, a very uh, small dormancy period. You know, we were concerned if we were going to get those chill hours, and we did. We had grapefruit set. Um, you know, and talking to other growers around the state, uh, they're excited and getting big yield this year as well. Um, you know, friends in the hill country and friends that, that get fruit from the high plains and even central Texas, you know, there's good, good quality stuff coming off everywhere. And, and also here in East Texas and, and we're, we're really happy and I'm, I'm excited, you know, thinking about, I know what we have here at Keepersall and it's going to be stellar. Uh, I think that, you know, vintages like this are going to, bode well for the Texas wine industry as a whole. Right, we're really excited. Any um, grape varieties that when you were harvesting you thought, wow, this is something really special, uh, anything really stand out for you? Uh, two in particular, uh, our Syrah from some of the older vineyard blocks, four and five, really awesome fruit, great color. We're actually doing some racking today uh, on some of that Syrah. It's beautiful, it's got great aromatics. Uh, and then also from our vineyard block 12, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, it's a really unique block. And there's some kind of two different uh, microclimes on the property here, these vineyard blocks. Uh, one has a little bit more sto- uh, clay, the, the four and five straw. And then the, uh, the Cabernet is grown with a top soil mined off with a little more fertile soil. Uh, but, man, it just, it's, they both produce some really great wines that, I'm excited about, for sure. 
Right on. How many how many blocks do you separate your vineyard into? And uh, it, it seems like that's a really important thing as far as age of the vines and as far as the little microclimates. And then how much uh, wine are you uh, expecting to produce in 2017? So we have 14 different vineyard blocks. Everything is, is separated out. Uh, like I say, a couple of different microclimes and minor shifts in topography on the estate. We have just under 63 acres uh, a vineyard planted, differentiated out, and uh, it looks to probably produce this season around 13,000 cases or so. All right. Yeah, I think we're, we're probably sitting, looking at that kind of a yield. We'll see after we get done with some pressing and racking and through primary fermentation, but that's what we're looking at. Uh, you know, we don't ever copy anything too much. Everything on the farmer side is with respect to the vine and um, making sure that the, the vineyard is healthy, taking care of the plants. If we need to send fruit, we'll send fruit. If we need to, uh, you know, do some cutting, we'll cut. And, and we always just try to think about the long-term plan. It's not just for the right now. You know, you can get out there and crop six, eight tons to an acre on some of this stuff and, you know, shut that plant down early on in its development. Right. Um, you know, we like to go in between three to six on some varieties, but mostly we stick around to three or four tons an acre uh, for our, our vineyard. Right on. Hey, well, uh, Michael McClendon, thank you from Keeper Soul Estate uh, in Northeast Texas. Uh, I, I really appreciate your time, and good luck with your last day of picking. Thank you very much. I appreciate you giving us a call and, and getting all the winemakers' opinions and hearing the stories, and I look forward to uh, getting out and tasting some of the wines from around the state as well. All right, all right. Well, good luck, and uh, we'll stay in touch, man. We'll do. Take care. Okay, take care, Michael. All right, next up is Patrick Whitehead, who's owner and winemaker of Blue Ostrich Winery up in North Texas. And I think we're going to see that there were some rainy conditions that presented some challenges with the 2017 vintage so far. So here's Patrick. Winery. This is Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Uh, Mark Rayshap here from Co-op Radio and uh, Another Bottle Down. Hey, Mark. How are you this morning? Hey, doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Sorry that um, we kind of have to be a whirlwind conversation the first time we're meeting. No worries. No worries. Um, but, uh, you know, and it was a pleasure to meet your daughter, right, Presley? Presley is our daughter. She's also our vineyard manager, and I think she was down in your studio um, earlier this summer. Yeah, it was great. Great to, great to have her, and uh, and uh, really, really fun to meet her and uh, get a little bit of a take on your winery. So, you know, the goal is uh, we're trying to get the update of the 2017 harvest going on right now and, and talk with winemakers from all around the state. And um, Patrick Whitehead is... Uh, is managing partner winemaker of Blue Ostrich Winery uh, in North Texas. Can you tell us where kind of exactly the winery is and and what how the the climate is a little bit unique in the state? Sure. Uh, depending on where you are in the Dallas Fort Worth uh, metroplex, it's a sixty to eighty mile trip up here. So we get a lot of weekenders, folks just looking to get out of the city. Uh, we're just directly north, uh, maybe a little bit northwest of the Dallas Fort Worth area. And we are actually right on the um, Texas-Oklahoma border in the Red River Valley. And so uh, we're right here about three miles from the border. So we 
we tease our customers all the time, telling them that we're, we're protecting the Texas border, but actually <laughs> uh, we have a lot of guests that come from Oklahoma and uh, come and enjoy our facility. Of course. Now, the Red River Valley is not uh, yet an officially recognized uh, region of Texas. And it's not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of our neighbors here, the folks at RK and some of the other folks here in the area have been, uh, you know, there's been kind of an effort to, to develop a, perhaps even an AVA within an AVA. We actually fall within the scope of the Texoma AVA um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a lot of us aren't fond of the way it's currently configured. And part of that is because um, if you look at a map or look at um, what, I guess, folks that map things or you look at Red River Valley as an area, it's pretty extensive as the river flows all the way to East Texas. However, where we're located, um, it's a true, it looks like a valley. We have bluffs, and it actually looks like a valley. And so our terrain, the terroir, everything about our specific area here in about a, oh gosh, I'm kind of ballparking it, maybe a, 40 square mile region is different than the rest of the Red River Valley. Right. And, and in particular terms, uh, quite positive and good for winemaking. We right? think so. Yeah. yeah. And it certainly looks different. I mean, it's a, it's a totally different area in the way it looks with the bluffs. It's beautiful. Um, a lot of the uh, folks that uh, do the marketing for communities up here refer to this as North Texas Hill Country because it has a look similar to what you might see down in in Fredericksburg or Marble Falls or someplace like that. Right. But it's a kind of a smaller area, and it's a unique part of the Red River Valley. Excellent. So what do you have planted there? What are you really excited about? And, um, well, let's start with that. We have um, eight acres uh, on our state vineyard. Uh, they were planted in three different plantings. We did three acres in 2011. Uh, our original vineyard manager was John Frederick, Jr., who's, uh, who's deceased. We lost him in 2014 when my daughter took over. We planted more grapes in 2012, and then our final planting was 2013. So we have eight acres producing. We grow primarily Tempranillo, makes up about half of that. We have about a two-and-a-half-acre uh, block of Cabernet Sauvignon. We have about an acre and a third of uh, Viognier, and then a small block of Merlot and a small planting of Moscato Giallo. And uh, up until this year, we haven't had really too many disease issues. Um, we have battled some things like uh, late freezes in the past, but this year was particularly challenging for us, specifically with um, powdery mildew, which was a new problem for us. Yeah. So you're, you're quite a bit inland, so uh, moisture f coming from the Gulf is not necessarily an issue, right. but um, th that powdery mildew might come from, were there wet, wet conditions yes. uh, this year? Yeah, and um, I'm getting probably a little bit outside my uh, uh, you know, scope of my work, but I will tell you as I understand it. Typically what happens in, in our summer weather patterns, we get the big summer thunderstorms, which is fine, man. We need the rain. Our family sure. also ranches, so we love rain. Right. Um, but then it's usually followed by, you know, a pretty good dry out and some hot days to kind of dry everything off. This year, particularly in June and the first part of July, we kept getting these little uh, an eighth of an inch here, a trace here, and we'd have almost these daily little showers. We weren't really getting a big soaking in the dry out, but we just kind of stayed wet. And so as the clusters are developing and starting to close up, you know, some of that bacteria is actually contained inside those clusters. And as diligent as we tried to be about our spray program, um, there was just some of it we weren't able to get to as the clusters closed up, and it began to manifest uh, in early to mid-July. And um, so we've lost this year in our vineyard. Probably we estimate three to four tons of fruit, one of our smaller blocks of cab, and then we lost about 13 or 14 rows of 
tempranillo. Right. So we shouldn't, you know, we should very, be very clear about this to, to consumers listening out there. It's not that there's uh, some sort of mildew and then that goes into the wine. It, no. it means that you actually select the grapes that are healthy yes. and the bunches and, and the blocks that are, that are healthy. And so it just means that you make less wine. Exactly. This uh, year we did our Viognier harvest um, first weekend in August. That was August 5th. And uh, we use volunteer harvesters. Everything's harvested by hand. And we had to do pretty extensive training that morning. Uh, where otherwise, we're just going there and, you know, here's your harvest tools. Pick the grapes. It's right. pretty straightforward. Right. This year, we tried to educate them as to what we would find acceptable versus not acceptable so they could work around that. And then uh, once we hit the crush pad, uh, we had some pretty seasoned people on the, uh, on the elevator or the lift we don't use sorting tables. We don't have those. But as it went up into the press, we were going at a very slow rate of speed and pulling more off. So we were very selective about what we put in. Yeah, so so give us a little bit of the timeline of what we're dealing with in the Red River Valley and up in North Texas. Um, what kind of came in first and, and where we're at right now? You said early early August it started, yes. kicked uh, off? Yeah, and that's uh, fairly typical first or second weekend of August for um, our whites. Uh, here at our uh, Blue Ostrich, that's going to be Viognier and Moscato Giallo, and that's pretty typical. Most whites, you know, they, they bud first, and they're usually the first to come off. And then we try and let our reds hang a little bit longer. Um, you know, we're only six years old, and it's taken us a while to figure out that, you know, don't be in such a hurry and don't be such a scaredy cat about letting them hang out there. And so we are trying to let that Tempranillo hang for another week or so, and then our Cabernet usually won't come until September. And, we, again, we just had rains last night, and we had rains on Saturday. So for Presley, our vineyard manager, that's a challenge, you know, to be able to get into the vineyard and spray. Right. And one of the things we didn't talk about is our soil type here is very different from our uh, two other nearby wineries. We have a lot of clay. And it can be very messy on a clay hill to get in there and get the tractor and the equipment. So we usually need a, a day or two to dry out as well. Wow. Um, when you say hang, you know, let the, let the grapes hang a little bit, um, what, what is kind of happening in, in those grape bunches and the flavors? Are they, uh, you know, really developing? And, and what do you see? Do you see um, also uh, in your region uh, balanced acidities and that sort of thing? Um, you know, just letting them get more ripe, yes. Uh, allow them just to get softer, more development of flavors. The Catch-22, Mark, I'm sure you've heard it, you know, many times in Texas, is battling that high pH while you're trying to develop sugar uh, at the same time. Right. And right. It, can, it can really kind of throw a winemaker for a loop, and that's just how, you know, it's just how Texas is. Right. And so we can make acid adjustments post-harvest in the cellar, which we typically do, um, but, you know, just... There's some great growers, and we're doing some wonderful things in Texas, but we're never going to be like Napa and Sonoma where, um, you know, those beautiful red grapes come in at a perfect 3.65 pH. Um, you know, 4.2 is not out of the question. Hey, so. don't don't let those Napa winemakers fool you. They 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 have to acidify <laughs> most of the time too. So. <laughs> um, well, what? So where? Um, you know, so we talk about we still have Tempranillo to come in in North Texas and Cabernet Sauvignon. What are you most excited about now? Now this was a little bit of a challenging vintage for you. Yes. Um, is a, a lot of folks haven't heard of this Muscat Gialla. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what and does it does it? Are you really excited about that? Is that unique for 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 you to have in it, in that it, area? It is fairly. I don't know too many people that grow it. Um, the uh, Oswald family out on the High Plains grows some. I know for. Uh, 
for Eden Hill Winery north of uh, Dallas, and uh, we grow it. I, I'm not familiar. The Binghams, I think, maybe grow some as well. The reason we planted it, uh, we were looking at Chenin Blanc uh, when we did our last expansion in 2013, uh, just because I think Chenin Blanc's a versatile grape. You can do a lot of things with it. And in talking to uh, Bobby Cox, a very well-known uh, grower and consultant on the High Plains, and just asking his opinion, he really cautioned us against doing it. Um, he's familiar with our area. And because of the moisture and humidity and Chenin Blanc's notoriously tight clusters, uh, he thought it could be problematic in terms of bunch rot and that sort of thing. So he suggested Moscato Giallo. It is a loose cluster. It's a big berry, um, I mean, almost the size of a table grape. And it has this wonderful peachy character when it's ripe. Right. And, you know, there's all different kinds of muscat, and um, we've only had a chance to make it one time, and it's just, it's, it's really a neat grape. I really like it. And yeah. you can, I, I, I like to joke uh, that to a winemaker, muscat is, is the bacon of winemaking. <laughs> it makes other food taste better, and it tastes great on its own. Yeah. So you can use muscat in a lot of different ways. I love it. And you do ferment it dry, or do you leave a little residual? No, we sugar? ferment it dry. Usually yeah. our sugars just aren't high enough. We've even had to capitalize a couple of times to get it where we wanted it, and then we'll come back and sweeten it later. Uh, something that we tried recently, uh, different for us, is uh, back-sweetening our wines using uh, muscat concentrate as opposed to cane sugar, and it really kind of adds another layer and dimension to that wine. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's excellent. Well, um, Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time. And, um... It's a pleasure to talk with you, and hope uh, we'll see you up at Blue Ostrich sometime soon. All right, interesting stuff. We're going to go back to the hill country with winemaker Sergio Quadra from Fall Creek. And uh, Sergio came five, six years ago from making wine in Chile. And so he comes at it at an interesting perspective. If you've not heard the episode of uh, my interview with Sergio Quadra talking about winemaking in warm climate uh, viticulture areas, make sure to, to, to look back at the feed um, and to check that episode out. It was from January 2017. Here's Sergio talking about how he's almost done with his harvest in the, in the hill country, in the Fredericksburg area. He's got vineyards um, in Driftwood as well as a little bit further north. And uh, he also talks a little bit about a, the winemaker's craft of blending and, uh, and uh, dealing with a warm vintage by blending some grapes or, uh, that, that might maintain their acidity. So here's Sergio Quadra. Hello. Hey, Sergio. Mark Rayshap here. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to, to talk a little bit about the 2017 harvest. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem, no problem. 2017 harvest is underway. We're in, we're here mid-August. Uh, this is going to air on August 15th. We're speaking on August 14th, uh, and uh-huh. Sergio Quadra is winemaker at Fall Creek Vineyards. And so, Sergio, start us off by telling where the vineyards that you are working with are located in the state. Well, primarily in the hill country, um, uh, close to. In between Lana and Brady, it's one, and then in the Driftwood area, there's uh, that now famous Salt Lake Vineyards. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of our major mm-hmm. um, suppliers, and then um, we get some some grapes from uh, West Texas. Uh, by that I mean, you know, Fort Stockton area, Texas County, and in, uh, in, in, in that that part of the right. So the, in um, 
Well, so so you're kind of uh, your heart is maybe in the hill country, Salt Lake, and um, and uh, and what we really think of as the hill country. But then you're getting some grapes from the from uh, West Texas. Tell us uh, what you're seeing in the in the 2017 vintage. Let's start off by saying where we actually are in terms of percent complete. Well, since our our uh, main supply is from the hill country, we're almost done. Um, the vineyards at Driftwood are pretty much done. Uh, we finished that uh, last Thursday, and uh, we're we're still waiting for uh, a Cabernet and a Petit Verdot from from northern the northern edge of the hill country. Um, and uh, well, for the most part, this is going to be remembered as uh, one of the earliest uh, vintages ever uh, started. Um, in uh, July 20th, um, which is I mean, like at least 10 days before the the, the second earliest. So uh, you know, as as we all may remember, uh, the winter was kind of mild. We didn't have a a, a real winter, so to speak. And um, so, but break was very early. Um, some Chardonnay that we have. Um, butt break by Valentine's Day. So wow, terribly. <laughs> yeah, and and with an, so, with an early butt break, we have a, a danger of uh, late frosts, right? And and a lot of other that's dangers. Right. Yeah. Every, I think that that was the main concern for everybody. Uh, but that didn't happen, think, right? That didn't happen. Yeah. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Uh, so it's it's one of those years where we had a lot of risk. But it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> then some some hail here and there, but not significantly. So it's looking like a good good harvest year. Um, I think that um, with the previous two harvests, uh, or, or uh, let me say, with the previous two very wet springs that we had in fifteen and sixteen, I think that we have come to very. Um, Tight, tight, uh, uh, you know, spraying uh, schedule for for any diseases, and so the, the the grapes are looking very healthy, in good shape. So we can kind of wait, you know, ripe and and with the sound ripeness. So that's pretty good. So it's been. I mean, I'm very happy and and, and uh, high. I have high hopes for for this uh, harvest because it combines, you know, uh, a good quality prospect. Right. And a good load prospect as well. Yeah. A lack of, I mean, no, no, no freezes. Um, so uh, finally, the you know, pretty much all the varieties had the chance to kind of perform or express themselves. Um, and so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think it's, we're we're facing a good, very good harvest. Yeah, although you're you're a little bit reluctant, I'm hearing some reluctance in your voice to, to coming out and just saying and declaring that it's going to be a great year. Uh, is that just uh, your conservative aspect and and your history in the winery that that you want to see the wine almost finalized? <laughs> well, no, no um, you know, um, this is my fifth uh, harvest here, right? And I think that this is one. The one that had had you know no no flaw, so like last year, well, there was uh, hail damage somewhere, so we didn't have as as much crop as we expected. Uh, then then the 
when well the early bud breaking varieties got hurt by the by an early freeze though, so we didn't have much tempranillo and then the whatever i mean there was always something right, know, to right. kind of complain about and right. and so this year it's finally one of those that that you have everything you know set up for for you to to um to 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 you know to, for for the vineyards to express themselves yeah so no i have a uh, i'm i'm confident uh i'm i'm watching the the fermentations as they go uh, very nicely, very um, concentrated. Um, of course, they're they're still growing, and some grapes are still hanging. But um, I'm I'm pretty kind of uh, have a positive positive uh, feeling about this yeah. Uh, vintage. Yeah. yeah. So Sergio, you and I had a wonderful in depth discussion. And yeah. it, and uh, it was in January of this year, uh, which right. if folks have not heard that, they can uh, check out the archive of the show. Uh, we talked about growing grapes in a warm climate and, yeah. uh, and and what a winemaker has to really concentrate on. And, and when people are saying, we had a really deep discussion as to folks who criticize Texas because the nights don't get cool and then therefore the acidities yeah. are not held in tight. How are you seeing the acid? this year I mean you because it was an early vintage that doesn't necessarily mean that there's lesser quality or lesser acid it just means you had to really pay attention right it's funny to to sometimes compare uh, we were already harvesting some, some grapes uh, like in like I said in, in July and late July this year and I read articles about variation happening in in the west coast um so that's that's to to you know to show how how distant we are in terms of you know speed of ripening um uh, so anyway um you know the, the the acidity goes down as as grapes get ripe and riper um and it's about it's about us to to uh Choose the right, you know, um, harvesting date. Uh, not only looking at the sugar levels, or you know, I always look at the taste of the grapes by by all means. Right. Uh, kind of keeping an eye on the analysis. Um, so it's up to us to pick at the right time, and that that would mean that the acidity either is going to be there, or 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 is going to be you know low. Uh, depending on on what you decide right. um, this year, I have to say that I have found the cities to be lower than other years mm-hmm. um, uh, but 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 not not dramatically lower i mean it's within within uh, ranges that w- that we can deal with right uh, so yeah. And then, as and then, with that lower acidity, you 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 uh, you're seeing nice, rich ripeness and ripe flavors, and um, and, and all the benefits that you get yeah. from the ripening. Right, yeah. right, and 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 also there, um, there's always a chance to to uh, blending. You know, right. um, uh, there are um, varieties that that hold acidity better than others. And so that's that's the blending all about. I mean, uh, when when you're you have a wonderful, you can have a wonderful wine, mm-hmm. uh, very ripe and fruity, but low acidity. You, you may it with some, some other variety that that has uh, 
you know, the acidity right there, and, and so that's that's all about the the blending right. process. Right. In in like a very brief moment, can you um, can you talk a little bit more in depth about that? Is it is Petit Verdot? What, what are the grapes that you kind of uh, like for blending because of the positive characteristics? Well, yeah, we're we're gonna have a very nice Petit Verdot this year. Um, that's it's looking very nice. It's still hanging though, but um, but uh, I I believe from from the uh, analysis that I have so far, it's going to be right on target. Uh, we're harvesting that on on this Wednesday, two days from now, and um, so and then and then we we catch a Merlot in two in two moments uh-huh. in time, like like a like a like a you know I wouldn't say unripe stage, but but not as ripe as the other one. Right. So that's the other thing. I mean, you can you can uh, manage uh, to have some harvested earlier and, and get that that uh, part of your uh, your blending. I mean, that that would be uh, of course more acid and then you can wait for for the fruitier side and, and more ripe riper grapes when when wait for a couple of days. Right. Right. Uh, and so that that's another let's say tool that we have to to kind of get your your final line um finalized yeah the city were a little low so so early early picking was kind of one option and so we took it a couple a couple of those in, in some varieties that we had um, enough of so in order to have different different um Individuals, uh, different wines. After all, uh, after after the harvest, uh, after the fermentations, to to play around with. Right. So, right. So yeah. Okay. Well, so early 2017 harvest in the hill country. What a, a brief yeah. uh, comment. A few brief comments on the um, on the, the the West Texas fruit. Is it, it's not quite the high plains, oh, right? It's um, on your way to El Paso and I-10. That that's the the area. Right. Uh, um, you know, we harvested those at. The almost at the exact moment that we want a little luck in in because uh, the analysis gave us a different different um, approach at the beginning, uh-huh. but after you know the the maturity in the tank, so the final maturity was was right on target, and that we we get two two varieties there, uh, Sauvignon Blanc and uh, Chenin Blanc, and they they're looking fantastic. I'm, I'm so happy with 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 the, uh, uh, what we're, what we're seeing so far. Uh, still, both are still fermenting for sure because it's a very cold and quiet and slow fermentation. Right. But the aromas that they are coming are absolutely amazing this year, especially the shin, the shinin. It's it's uh, it's amazing. You you I can't wait to show it to you uh, one of these days. All right. Well. Uh, yeah, yeah, really looking forward to that. And hey, congratulations! The you know I had recently the 2013 Meritus, and um, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, that's that's showing really well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very happy with it. Well, Sergio Quadra, thank you so much for giving us our 2017 uh, harvest update, and we will stay in touch, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch as uh, as the summer progresses. All right, and for our last segment of the 2017 Harvest Report, uh, we'll talk to a winemaker on the Gulf Coast. Uh, Raymond Hack is owner of Hack Vineyards, 
and he specializes in a grape variety that you don't see all that often around the U.S., uh, but it is prominent in this area called Blanc de Bois, and the reason that is is because it's uh, Pierce's disease resistant, and so you'll hear Raymond refer to PD, that's Pierce's disease, uh, and as well as the grape variety of Vitis vinifera. Vitis vinifera is our normal grape European grapevine, and uh, Blanc de Bois is not that, so it is resistant to this Pierce's disease. Um, the sound quality is not the best, but we're going to hear Raymond talk about how the wet conditions of this year were really brutal to his vineyards, and he lost his crop of his vineyards but was able to supplant it with some uh, Blanc de Bois from some neighbors, and uh, such is the life of the winemaker. So here's Raymond Hack. And Raymond, what well, we're talking about the 2017 harvest, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what you do at Hack Winery? Sure. Yeah, well, we, we um, are in a destination winery, do a lot of events, uh, weddings, concerts, festivals, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, we're about 30 miles southwest of Houston, so within a 60-mile radius, we have about 4 million uh, residents. So we have a nice bunch of folks we can call on to come on and visit. So... And we have a nice wine club growing very rapidly. So we'd like to promote that. Um, and I'm not officially probably want to get around and talk about the, the quality of the crop this year. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's been excellent for everybody across the state except on the Gulf Coast. But we're at, we had a lot of rainfall this year. So. Yes. So. Uh, so a lot of rain, and uh, and what do you grow on the the Gulf Coast? Um, some of my I, I enjoy uh, some of the Blanc de Bois that you make, and what, what's the focus on the coast? It's primarily peaty resistant varieties, which is Blanc de Bois and uh, like Spanish or Jacquet grape. Um, we don't grow Jacquet though; we just grow uh, Blanc de Bois. We have a three acre uh, vineyard of Blanc de Bois, and uh, then I have about six other Blanc de Bois growers. Wow, and and, uh, and even and though did that have a hard time this year with all of the rain, or um, did did that uh, hang in there? Uh, no, I tell you what happened. I'm, I think our venue was the only one that got really hit hard. Um, we had so much rainfall, we actually lost our crop, entire crop this year. Oh my goodness! One rot, black rot, that sort of thing. And we just couldn't keep the spray program up. Uh, when you when you spray right after, we have to spray right after rainfall. Fungal pressure, and uh, and then we get a rain right after that. What happens, of course, is chemicals. So, um, anyway, just rough year, and uh, you know, actually, the last three years has been really, really rough. Uh, we've lost a lot of vines that suffocated with water standing in the vineyard. It's the wrong time of the year. And we've been growing grapes for 48 years on the Gulf Coast. Right. Uh, the last three years, the worst three years I can remember. But all of my other growers are further up off the coast. There's like 120 to 150 miles north of the coast. And, uh, man, we have a beautiful problem here. Just gorgeous. I'm really excited about uh, producing it. We should be bottling this next week, our 2017 Blanc We make seven different wines in Blanc Yeah. And and um, so so the way that you kind of handle the difficult vintages uh, by working with a number of growers in just different sort of sub uh, in different subclimates and that sort of thing. Yes, yes, sir. Different microclimates. Um, 
I think we really have a great um, opportunity that we've, we've uh, developed over the years because we have like six different growers from six different micro regions in the southern part of Texas, different soils and climates and so forth. So when we bring the same grape in, we blend them together and we get an incredible complex flavor right. uh, as, as a result of blending these same, like same monthly wild, same variety, but uh, coming from different sources. Right. What about the uh, and and the black Spanish? You make um, and and you make some wonderful fortified wines out of uh, out of black Spanish and Blanc de Bois as well, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, do you have black Spanish on your vineyard, or and and was that affected as well? No, sir, we don't. Uh, I did grow black Spanish for uh, a number of years, but the black Spanish, just like we had this problem with our Blanc de Bois from uh, excessive humidity and rainfall. Black Spanish is very susceptible to uh, a bunch rot and black rot because the berries are much smaller, the clusters are tighter. Right. So we uh, go out to, to uh, spray for fungicide pressure and that sort of thing. It's just not effective at all on the Gulf Coast. So I finally pulled out an acre of black Spanish I had and replaced it with a couple of years Okay. And um, and then you also produce some uh, some wonderful Tempranillo. Uh, do you get that from just various other vineyards around the state that's not being uh, grown on the coast, right? Correct. Yeah. Now, uh, Tempranillo, of course, is a member of the Venus and Ephra family, and uh, they're highly susceptible to ED or Fisher disease. So I have a fabulous grower up in the High Plains in Brownfield, Texas. His name is B.J. Reddy. Right. Reddy Vineyards. And so B.J. produces about all the red wines, we, uh, we uh, source Tempranillo, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec, uh, Merlot, uh, some Sinsol. And this year, well, actually last year, we got a small amount. This year, we get some more. I'm really excited about it. It's a red variety that's done really well in Portugal. It's called Torriga Nacional. Torriga Nacional, uh, yeah. Excellent. Sir, it's an incredible red wine. So we're really excited about that. We should build yeah now um and so they're making it out there and uh, it's coming from ready vineyards and uh up on the high plains what are what are what the, and so what you're hearing this year 2017 uh great quality up in the high plains yes sir we are and everybody's two weeks early two weeks uh, early we, we saw that too we had a mild winter and so we had an early bud break about two weeks early bud break and that's been true of the high plains also so we're going to probably get our uh our great guy harvested uh in, in about uh, two weeks probably two to two and a half three weeks from now okay um well and then so you'll be wrapped up maybe a little bit early this year yeah i hope so <laughs> i have a vacation plan so we're looking forward to it all right. Well, great. Well, uh, Raymond Hack, thank you so much for catching up with us and telling us about the 27 Vintage and uh, the Gulf Coast and the High Plains. Hope to stay thank in touch. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hack Vineyards, Raymond Hack. Well, that wraps us on up for the 2017 Harvest Report so far. I'm going to really try and do this for California and some of the West Coast states as well. I uh, hope you've really enjoyed it. Again, another another uh, reminder to make sure to subscribe in the iTunes store or Stitcher to the podcast. And uh, I'd love to hear anything that you might, any uh, recommendations or, or any feedback that you might have. Send me a note at markrayshap at koop.org. 
Uh, and again, lastly, a huge thank you to Daniel Collada from the Texas Wine Journal and Venovium Partners out in Johnson City for doing a lot of legwork to set up these interviews. Really appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, this has been Another Bottle Down, and my name is Mark Rayshap. We'll catch you next week, everybody.